0: Good morning, everybody. As you're seated, please take a moment and give the person next to you a high five or a side hug or a handshake. And welcome to Central this morning. Wow, it's gonna be a special time this morning as we finish our message, and man, I just have been so blessed and blown away by our worship team, just their faithfulness first hour with the choir and orchestra and our entire team. It's just been a wonderful morning, and and we're in round two this morning, and I'm glad that you've decided to to join us and be a part of our family, and uh, I just want to encourage you that if you are here for the first time, this is a great place to be, that this is a wonderful church with wonderful people. Uh, We're definitely not perfect by any means, but we do know a perfect God that loves us. And so we are thrilled you're here this morning. And uh, as we finish our series, Impoverished, I hope that God really does bless you in a powerful way and that we leave here better than how we showed up this morning. So the year was 2002. I had the privilege of going on my very, very, very first missions trip with my dad to Nicaragua. And this trip was going to be foundational for me. One, because it was going to be part missions trip in my mind, and also part vacation trip in my mind. And I was going to go hang out with my dad, who was also really cool. And so as I prepared my heart, prepared my mind, getting excited about going on this international missions trip, in my mind, in my agenda, I thought I was going to be doing five really clear things. Number one... Build someone a new house. Number two, paint a church to make it look a little bit better. Number three, help some kids that were sick in a, in a very rural village. Number four, teach Central Americans how to play soccer better. Yeah. And point number five, I was heading over there, obviously, to solve world hunger. And realized very quickly after only a few days in Nicaragua that I was going over there with an idea of what I thought God wanted to do through me. I was going over there thinking that my agenda was going to line up with what God's agenda was and many of those things that I shared, we had the privilege of doing minus teaching Central Americans how to play soccer, that's for sure. But I realized over there that I went over with my own desires, with my own just wishes to make an impact in a community and God really just put it in the front of my mind that it wasn't about me and it was all about him. And you know, my fear after 15 years is that I haven't completely left my ninth grade missional mindset behind. And my concern for churches all across America is that many gather for the name of Jesus, but when they scatter, they go back to their own agenda. And this type of mentality, this way of thinking, is defined as a vacationary. Vacationary. It's someone who does ministry or missions with their own desires, with their own motives. A vacationary could also be someone that amplifies their name more than they amplify the name of Jesus. And I know for some of you here, you're saying, time out, Trav. You know, you're talking to the wrong group of people. I, you know, I'm, I'm here and I, I love Jesus and I, and I do a lot for God and I give a lot and I'm faithful. Don't clump me with those group of people that you're calling vacationaries like yourself. My encouragement this morning would be that we can have an open heart, an open mind as we truly go to God's word and unpack the importance of having the right heart. So, if you are joining us for the very first time, man, we are thrilled you decided to be a part of our Sunday services, whether you're watching online or you're here in person. It is going to be an exciting morning as we travel through one of my favorite passages in Scripture. But I want to encourage you this morning that if you are here for the first time or it's been a little while since you've been here, we've been in an awesome series. I'm not just saying that, I'm telling you, this has been one of the most convicting, most inspiring, most wonderful series, if that's even a word, that I have been a part of here at Central. We've been talking about the importance of having a change in perspective, a change in heart so that we can see the needs of people the way that God sees them. And a few things that Pastor Craig has been sharing with us, our lead pastor, he's been sharing with us a few important things. And I want to share those because it helps us understand where we're going to finish our series this morning. The first one is this. The first one is this. That the world is broken, God has a plan, and we are a part of the solution. He shared that many weeks. And this week I want to just... Share that one more time, that this world is broken. You have to put on the news for five minutes and you'll realize that, that God does have a plan for us. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for this church. And we, you, me, us, we are a part of the solution. Something that Pastor Craig has said numerous times, and I want to share this morning with us as well, that if you change the way you see the world, you change the world you see. This morning, I want to land the plane as we finish our series with one really big thing. This one really big thing is what we're going to be talking about for the rest of our time here this morning. And that one really big thing is having a heart of compassion. And this morning, I want to unpack that through the biblical lens of Luke chapter 10. So at this time, if the ushers can come forward, if you're here and you don't have a Bible or you forgot it at home, raise your hand in the air. Wave it like you just don't care, and they will be able to give you a Bible this morning so you can follow along with us. And uh, yeah, raise it high, we'll we'll get a Bible into your hands. And this morning, again, we want to make sure that we are unpacking the importance of having a compassionate heart. This morning, we want to identify what does that look like, why is that important, and how do we leave here making sure that our hearts are all aligned with what God wants us to be focused on. And for the sake of time this morning, we could spend the next week unpacking Luke chapter 10 here in this room. Like for a whole week we could hang out here. But for the sake of time this morning and my ADD, we are going to make sure that we unpack this entire passage of Scripture through the lens of having a compassionate heart through the story, the biblical account of the Good Samaritan. It's true, we could spend an entire week talking about the foundational places that are around this passage. We could unpack each one of the characters that are identified in this good Samaritan parable. We could spend the rest of the day just examining a few key words and key phrases in the original context. But I believe this morning we should leave here not with more knowledge of what we can do, but we should leave here with a better understanding of what God has called us to do. And so this morning, as we identify that, journey with me. It's on page 1040 in the Bibles we passed out this morning. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, we see here that the gentlemen share with Jesus, don't be a vacationary. Make sure that you're actually living for God and loving God as best you possibly can and loving the neighbors that are around you. And here's the deal, church family, as as Christians, as Christians, we know we're called to live and show compassion. We know that. As Christians, we know in this room, we know in this room that we are called to not just talk about missions, but to live missional lives. And we're gonna see here as we finish this. these next two verses, that Jesus is going to be calling him to something. So look with me, these last two verses. Look what Jesus said in verse 28. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So time out, before we get into this parable that Jesus is about to share with us this morning, and the parable that he taught in this time period in history, it's important for us to pick out four key people, characters that are in this parable. And for some of you in the room, this passage in Scripture, you've heard numerous times. I've had the privilege of teaching this parable many times in different churches. But for, for some reason, this morning... I was able to identify some unique things that I haven't seen yet. And I wanna share with these things with you this morning so that when we dive into this parable together as a church family, we'll have a better understanding of what Jesus is trying to say, not only to the man who is skilled in law, but to the church family that is here this morning. So there's four people. The first, the first person that Jesus is gonna identify here in a few moments is a half-dead man, someone that was beaten and robbed, left on the side of the road to die. The second person we're going to see in this passage of scripture is a priest, a pastor, probably someone that was either finishing up weeks of of spiritual revival in a temple somewhere and then heading to another place of spiritual revival or his desire to share the good news of God through Old Testament laws and traditions. And then the third person we're going to see is a Levite. Levites were known for their singing ability. So we're going to classify him as the worship pastor, someone who was skilled in worship, skilled in song, and was probably either heading to a place to sing or just coming back from a place to sing. Of course, the fourth person, this is the one that just came out of nowhere because the man that was skilled in law was expecting Jesus. He was expecting Jesus to talk about a pastor, a person that would sing, and then he was expecting Jesus to say, and... A common Jewish man but instead Jesus didn't use a common Jewish man he used a Samaritan man and it's important to understand a Samaritan man was half Jew half Gentile he was looked down upon by the Jewish people Samaritans were lower 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 class citizens people of the Jewish culture didn't want anything to do with these Samaritan people and it's, and it's interesting when I look at this passage of Scripture and I see that Jesus is really trying to make a big point and almost push some buttons to the people that were around him, including the man that was skilled in the law, I believe he can do the same thing for us. And, you know, for, for just go with me for a second. But here in Michigan, if you're watching online, we live in Holland, Michigan, and it is a Dutch settlement. And so I've lived here for about a year and a half. And one thing I've heard kind of like on the down low is a statement, and it goes like this if you're not Dutch, you're not much, right? And so I believe in historical biblical times when Jesus was walking the earth, the Jewish people would probably say, if you're not a Jew, you ain't got a clue. And so it's important for us to identify that the Jewish people thought that the Samaritans had zero clue on anything. They didn't know anything about any Jesus thing, God thing, anything at all. And so... It's important for us to realize in this passage that Jesus is going to quickly help the man of the law, but also us this morning, identify some key pieces. So if you're still with me, look at verse 30. This is what it says. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw the man, he took pity on him. It's important to recognize this morning, church family, that both the priest and the Levite saw the half-dead man as an obstacle in their day. Something that they really don't want to be a part of. They recognized the guy was half-dead, or maybe in their minds completely dead, but it was someone else's business, not theirs. It was an obstacle in their day. But we see in this passage of Scripture that the Samaritan man saw the half-dead man as an opportunity in his day to show and share compassion, to reach out a hand and to help. Verse 33 is really important that we understand in the original language. And if you look at verse 33, you are going to see that the Samaritan man took pity on the half-dead man. In the original Greek, the word is, is defined as was moved with compassion. This is a really important word for us to understand. And I, and I promise for the sake of time, th- this is really big deal for us this morning. Jesus used this specific Greek word to make a very clear point that the Samaritan man was moved to compassion because he was compassionate. The Samaritan man did acts of compassion and kindness because he had compassion in his heart. I believe that both the Levite and the priest both demonstrated great acts of kindness here and there, but the key difference was the Samaritan man was moved with compassion because he had a compassionate heart, a constant, never-changing type of passion. You know, the Latin word for compassion means to co-suffer or to suffer with. And this morning we see in this passage that the good Samaritan suffered with and encouraged and showed compassion to the half-dead man because he had a compassionate heart. Look with me at verse 34. When he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine to help heal them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is basically two days' worth of wages, 150, 160 bucks, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor The man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him to go and do likewise. The Samaritan man saw the half dead man as an opportunity to encourage, to bless, to help. The Levite, the priest, saw the man as an obstacle in their day to step over, to move around but not to engage. I believe that the Samaritan made a point with his actions, not just to talk about showing compassion, but to actually do it. Not just talk about compassion, but actually do it. I believe in this passage of Scripture this morning, we can identify three foundational truths. And I know we can identify probably 20 foundational truths. But for this morning, I want us to be very clear on three things that I believe speak very clearly in why and how to have a heart of compassion. So if you're taking notes, write down these things. These are not rocket science science type of uh, points, but they are very applicable points that I can guarantee you, if you apply these to your life, they will help you live on mission with a heart of compassion. So the first one is this. The first one is this. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about our agenda, but it's about God's agenda. It's not about what makes us feel happy, but it is what glorifies God the most. It's not about what we can get out of something, but it's what God wants to use us to get something out of. I believe wholeheartedly that these next few weeks we have the most amazing opportunity to share and show compassion with people by serving them and inviting them here to this church or whatever church you're a part of. I believe wholeheartedly that God wants in your mind to not just think about you during this Easter season specifically, but be thinking about your friends, your neighbors, your community who are far from God. And I believe wholeheartedly This is kind of a pitch this morning, so let my ADD creep in for a moment. I believe wholeheartedly that if you're here this morning and you've been here for at least a year and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, I believe one of the greatest ways you can make sure that it's not about you, but it's all about Him, is to actually get involved and serve. And for some of you, you say, well, I I do serve. I serve in different ministries. I serve in places. Great. Keep serving. But for some of you here this morning, I want to encourage you that You have an opportunity, even this morning, to serve. Not as in like right now, get up and leave and go serve. But I want to give you an opportunity today. This could be your opportunity to leave if you want. But this is my opportunity to give you today because I've already told the people at the info desk that some of you are actually going to be heading out to them right after the service. And you're going to tell them, hey, listen, I'm saved and I need to serve. I've been a Christian for a long time, and it's time to serve. Some of you here this morning, you're saying, well, hey, time out, Trav. I'm not a Christian yet. I'm still on this journey of trying to figure out who Jesus is. Great. We'll have an opportunity for you to serve, too. You can come hold the doors and welcome people that are coming into this church. We'll give you opportunities to shake people's hands and encourage them. There is an opportunity for you today, church family, to serve. And the cool part is, I've already told the people in the back that some of you are going to go. So when you go, you're going to say, hey, listen, I'm saved and I want to serve. Or, hey, listen, I'm not saved yet. I'm not even sure if I want to stay at this church, but I want to serve somewhere. So give it a shot. We want to do this. Also, last piece before we get into point number two is that Easter is literally a couple weeks away. Statistics say that 80% of people that you invite will actually come to church with you, especially on Easter Sunday. So my encouragement this morning to you is who are you going to bring? Who are you going to invite? And you might be saying, time out. Why are you doing this pitch this morning on stage in church? It's really clear because when you do these things, it won't be about you. When you serve people, it's not about you. When you actually go out of your way to share the saving message of Jesus with someone else, it's not about your agenda, but it's about God's. It's not about you. It's not about us. Second point, it's not about religion. It's not about religion. This is an important part because the the man that was skilled in the law was trying to twist things to make Jesus make it all about religion. The do's, the don'ts, the yeses and the no's. And Jesus, in this passage, is saying very clearly that it's not about religion. It's about a transformation of the heart. It's not about how many times you show up on a Sunday or how well you serve. It's about knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. It's not about religion. Third point is this. It's all about compassion. It's all about compassion. Look at the person next to you, make sure they're still awake and say, "It's all about compassion. OK, a few of you did that. Hey, it's all about compassion. What do I mean by that? It's not about us. It's not about religion. It has to be all about compassion. It's all about the name of Jesus. If I was, if I was going to define if I was going to define what Compassion is, I would say this morning, that it is showing and sharing the hope and life of Jesus to all people. That's compassion. Doing a compassionate thing of helping someone up if they've fallen over, that shows. But having a heart of compassion is showing and sharing the hope and life of Jesus to all people. There's there's really nothing else around it besides knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. That is what a heart of compassion is all about. And you know, I believe just like we see our nose all the time, but our brain chooses to ignore it, I believe the same thing is true with with some of us in this room, including myself, with the way that I see people around me. Just like my brain chooses to ignore my nose every single day, I believe that something inside of me has chosen to ignore some of the people that are around us in our everyday lives that we just say, it's an obstacle to my day it's not an opportunity. As Christians, we need to see people as opportunities to minister to, not obstacles to step over. I believe the Good Samaritan message is a clear message that should encourage all of us to make sure that it's not about us, that it's not about being a religious person, but it's about being a person that's transformed, set on mission to do God's will, God's way. You know, I'm married to an accountant, actually a forensic accountant, and we've been married for six years. We've got a beautiful, wild little daughter named Harper. She was watching first hour on live stream. If she was in here, she would take over the stage. It's the truth. And uh, she's 19 months. My wife and I have been married for six years. And uh, we were, as we started dating and as we got engaged, I noticed some tendencies about my wife's accounting way of thinking. And, and, you know, I love my wife tons and tons and tons. My wife loves me tons and tons and tons. And if you're married here, you love your spouse, hopefully, tons and tons and tons. But there's some things you just don't really love about them. There's things that they do that kind of bother you a little bit. This is premarital counseling for some of you. There's going to be things that your, that your spouse does that will cause you to say, oh, man. And you kind of learn to live with them or you, or you just address them. One of the things my wife does is, and she continues to do this, and I noticed that the first few weeks that we were dating is that whenever we are in a parking lot, I mean, it even happened last Sunday at church here. And whenever we're in a parking lot, if Jess sees a dime, a nickel, even a penny, she'll go back and pick it up. I mean, she'll, she'll see it. I'll be holding hands and say, Trav, look, it's a penny. I'm like, oh man, here it goes again. And I've, I've had conversations with her. Jess, it's a penny to sleep. And there was one occasion three years ago, we were in a, a pretty sketchy part of town, late at night in the parking lot of Walmart, and we are walking rather quickly to the entrance of Walmart, because I thought I was going to get robbed or something, right? I mean, it's kind of a dangerous part of town. And while we're walking, my wife stops me, and she says, Trav, look, it's a penny. And in my mind, I started thinking, oh, no, please, please, (laughs) Jess, it's just a penny, leave it. No, no, no. I mean, she goes over, and she picks it up, And she does the same thing she does every time. She dusts it off and then she sticks it in her pocket. And and right before she picked it up, I said, Jess, don't touch it. You don't know where that thing has been. You don't know who has stepped on it. You don't know who has spat on it. You don't know who has driven over it. You don't know where, Jess, it could be a trap. Don't touch the penny. But she picked it up anyways and stuck it in her pocket. And I said, Jess, three years ago, "Why, why do you do that? And she looked at me and she says, Trav, it's a penny. It still has worth. At that moment, God convicted me in a big way. Because that is how I would see a lot of people on my daily life. I would see people as just pennies. Someone to step over obstacles, but not opportunities. At that moment, I was convicted to stop seeing people the way that maybe the world sees them and start seeing them the way that God sees them. And I want to encourage you this morning, I want to I want to share this specifically this morning to you in this room. You feel like the half dead person in the parable. You feel like the penny. You feel like you have no worth. You feel like you are worthless. You feel that you are helpless. You've been kicked out, dragged out, and you don't really have a whole lot of reason to live. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're watching online or you're here in person, that God does have a plan for you, that he loves you. In the biblical account of the Good Samaritan, is very clear that just like the Good Samaritan went to the man that was half dead, picked him up, cleaned him off, healed him, took care of him, and then came back again. Jesus, the ultimate Great Samaritan, wants to do the exact same thing in your life, person in this room, that might feel half dead, of half worth. And this morning, church family, I want to encourage you that if that is you, Jesus promises to come and help you, to save you, to give you a better life than you've ever had. And here's the best part. He's coming back again, just like the Good Samaritan. And I believe this morning as well, there might be some of us in this room, maybe for some of us, we're getting a little convicted. We're we're feeling in our heart that, you know, we're not the half-dead man but we're the, we're the fully alive person, but our hearts are just not in the right place. We see people as obstacles instead of opportunities. We see people as someone else's problem, someone else's missions field, someone else's person to deal with. Their family will take care of that, but not as opportunities to step in and to help. There is no way you can be a good Samaritan if you don't know the great Samaritan, the Savior of the world. And if you do know the great Samaritan, God has called us to not just talk about showing and sharing compassion, but to live it out, to do it actively, to do it in your neighborhoods, to do it in your schools, to do it, to do it in your own families. The saving message of Jesus is for people to respond and this morning, as we close out our series, I want to just encourage us in this room, encourage us in this room, that if you're not dead, God's not done. That he has a transforming ability to take over and do a mighty work in your life. If you're not dead, God's not done. He wants to transform you. He wants to use you. He wants to big, build in you in a big way. And for some of you in this room this morning, You're you're still alive, and God has a plan for you. He has a mission for you. Will you accept that mission? As we finish our series on Impoverished, we recognize the world is broken. God has a plan, and we, we as a church, we at Central Wesleyan Church, we are a part of the solution. Do you want to be a part of that solution? Do you want to be a part of the solution in your homes, in your marriages? in your communities? Do you want God to resurrect that powerful love that is inside of you, that he has given you as a Christian to go and be on mission? Lost person, the person in the room here that you feel just really worthless and hopeless, hey, today's the day. Don't wait till tomorrow. You can respond right here, right now as an opportunity to say, Lord, I wanna be a good Samaritan, but I don't know you, so I can't. Lord, you know that I feel worthless and I feel like I've been kicked out and punted out of almost everything. I have no love. I need yours, God. And as we finish our series this morning with a very powerful song called, Oh, Come to the Altar, I wanna give all of us an opportunity to respond in a way to make sure that when we leave here, it's not about behavior modification, but life transformation, that when we leave here, it won't be about emotional but it'll be about transformational living. And so in a minute, the band's gonna play, I'm gonna pray for us, and it's not gonna be a moment we're all gonna stand and say, We wanna give you an opportunity to not leave here the same way you came in. To have an opportunity to respond and say, God, I am so convicted. I don't care about people at all. I haven't invited any of my neighbors or any of people around me ever to church. For some of you in this room, your altar call might be coming down front and saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. I am so far gone. Church family, don't leave here today without making a decision to do something. Don't leave here today without confessing the reality that your hearts might be in a place that God doesn't want it to be. God wants to do work in our hearts. When I was... Heading into the the service this morning, I had a gentleman come up to me and he says, Pastor, I'm really excited for you to be teaching. He says, I believe that revival is right around the corner. I can feel it. I've been praying for years. I believe revival is right around the corner. And I said, I agree with you, sir. But the reality, church family, is that if we want to see revival take place in this town, take place in this church, it's got to first take place in your heart. So let's go together in prayer. Lifting up Jesus' name to give us the power that we need to be on mission this week. God, we thank you for this morning. God, I recognize in a room this full with people watching online and in person, there's a lot of hurt. Lord, I recognize in a room this size, there's people here that love you, Lord, but they really don't love people a whole lot. And it's hard to do both those well. And God, I pray that right now, as we finish this series, with a very powerful commandment that you've given to us to love our neighbor. God, I pray at this moment, you can help us respond the best we know how to either give our lives to you, Jesus, or to just say, Lord, I need your help because I need to love people the way that you love them. And Jesus, I believe that you can do that right here and right now. Will you speak to us, God? Will you nudge our hearts to respond and come to the altar? It's in your name we pray. Amen.